Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined as always by Miles Danhausen. How are you doing, Miles? I'm good, Andrew. Um, as good as can be. Um, we got the paper out this week. That's true. I, I saw the final cut come through last night. It looks great. It looks like it's full of really important information for people. We also have the DoorCountyPulse.com website updated. Uh, the front page is now all COVID-19 information. If you heard the podcast yesterday, we talked with Chris Hecht from the, the Fire Chiefs Association about the, the new coalition that's been formed. Uh, and a lot of that information will be funneling through DoorCountyPulse.com as well. So make sure that you are keeping an eye on the website because we are trying to keep it as up to date as possible as things come in. So speaking of things coming in, why don't we uh, just jump into what's new today? Uh, I guess we can start at the state level. So what are the numbers for Wisconsin today? All right. So the Wisconsin Department of Health website has is still sitting at that 106 number. Johns Hopkins lists Wisconsin as 111 total cases, no deaths in Wisconsin, and no confirmed cases in Door County. There is one in Brown County. Uh, I would guess there will be more in short order, but that's kind of where it, it stands. Still growing rapidly in some of those hotspots in Seattle, in New York. It's up over 3,000 now, largely due to doing a, a lot more tests and you're hearing hospitals saying they're getting overwhelmed with patients. Right. Um, yeah, that is the thing with the, the increased testing, the more tests we do, the higher those numbers will go because we are catching up with the virus at this point. That is not to diminish the spread of the virus, uh, but it is also not to, you, you shouldn't have elevated concerns or anxiety if you're seeing the numbers skyrocketing over the next couple of weeks, because the more tests we do, the more verified cases we're going to have. At the same time, don't let that message lull you into a false sense of security that we have things under control. We are doing our best, but the, the numbers are going to fluctuate wildly over the next couple of weeks. One of the things that came out yesterday is a lot of this, and even I have focused on the, the older population because they're most susceptible, but as more and more data comes out of China, South Korea, and Italy, and even what people are seeing in the United States right now, young people should not be complacent about this. There are a lot of hospitalizations, uh, a lot of serious hospitalizations for people under the age of 65, even in their 20s. Um, one report yesterday of the first like 2,500 cases in the United States, for those who test positive, the hospitalization rate for people age 20 to 44 is as much as 20%. So even at that younger age group, one out of five are spending time in the hospital. That length of time in the hospital seems to be anywhere from two weeks to three weeks. Uh, when you get to the over 65 population, the rate of hospitalization is anywhere from 28 to 43% of people spending time in the hospital. And the ICU rate, basically, once you hit age 45, if you catch the virus, 5% are going to the ICU. So. Uh, why don't we shift gears, Miles, and talk a little bit about some things that have happened over the last 24 hours in Door County. First off, Main Street was going to move to takeout orders only, basically, uh, having their staff shop for you and then bringing your groceries out to you. Uh, they were going to move to that, I believe, on Monday. They have moved to that today. So as far as I know right now, if you want to get groceries from Main Street, call ahead, place your order. They have instructions online. They've posted it on their Facebook page. It's fairly easy to do. My in-laws did it yesterday, and it was easy to just walk in, pick up, and leave. I was able to pick it up for them. So one thing that has happened sooner than we thought it was going to happen. 
And you know, that's an example of, we've talked about a lot of heavier stuff related to this crisis um, and a lot of the downers, but I would say like, it's pretty awesome to see some of these businesses evolve so quickly because they have to survive. They're right. doing everything they can to survive. So moving to pickup only, really using every platform they can to get the message out, trying to accommodate community needs, volunteering services to places that need them, finding unique ways to get their employees tip money uh, and, and things that they're going to lose out on. And having to react, like normally if you're going to lay someone off, you have to, you're, you're making that decision over months. You're in small businesses, you agonize over it and, and you try and soften that blow. People are having to make this decision in so quickly right now to just try and not hemorrhage so much money right. uh, that I know a lot of businesses are in really difficult spots, but to see people adapt and do what like Main Street Market is doing, the Piggly Wiggly, to see what the fire chiefs are doing. I think you're going to see some really great innovation and some really cool stories come out of this and how people come together and help each other. Yeah, I think that's the biggest takeaway for me is that while there is a lot of doom and gloom out there right now, seeing the community come together has been really inspiring. And knowing that if you need help, the community is here for you in that way. Yeah be nice if mother nature would be here for us and bring some freaking sunshine into this town but yeah the weather could be could be nicer for sure as we are self-isolating next up the hospital has announced that they are canceling non-essential procedures so you just got a press release about this uh, walk me through kind of what this means i actually came end of day yesterday we were able to get it into the print edition so yeah and basically visiting specialists are canceled non-essential procedures are canceled You'll find that release online. It's on the hospital's website. They're doing a great job of trying to keep people updated now and put all this information front and center. They're just preparing as much as possible for any influx that might come their way. And so I would, if you have an elective procedure on the schedule or probably any surgery in the next few weeks, it'd be a good time to call and double check if the hospital hasn't already done that for you. Um, and if you were thinking of doing one, I wouldn't expect to get it on the books. Right. They, they mentioned that uh, anything having to do with a patient's well-being is still going to go on as normal mm -hmm. as of right now. Uh, but things like massages will not be happening, <laughs> um, which makes a lot of sense. Um, so check out the press release. It's in the paper. It's also online uh, for more information about that. They also um, so we've talked a little bit about what Chris Heck and the fire chiefs are doing for non-essential, non-emergency type services. The hospital does have a hotline if you are afraid that you might have been exposed at some point to the COVID-19 virus or are, are feeling like you have symptoms. Of course, you could call 911, but the hospital does have a hotline. It is 920-746-3700 to call if you think you have been exposed. They have that open, I think it's a 9 to 5 type service. So if you do have any questions related to that, I would encourage you to call that number. So last night, the town of Gibraltar made their emergency declaration. Uh, it sounds like Sturgeon Bay is meeting tonight to discuss this. Uh, why don't we just do kind of a rundown now? We've seen most of the municipalities come out with emergency declarations at this point, correct? Um, the ones that I am sure of at this moment, uh, town of Gibraltar, town of Bailey's Harbor, village of Egg Harbor, town of Egg Harbor, Liberty Grove, Sister Bay was the first on Monday. And then uh, I believe Ephraim also has done it as well. Sturgeon Bay is tonight, kind of kind of late to the game on that, but it gives a new sense of urgency to your community is what I'm seeing this happen. As soon as these towns did it and the village of Sister Bay did it, people started to take it more seriously. Right. Yeah. And that... it gave them powers to say like, hey, like 
let's not be stupid. Stop gathering. Stop hanging, bringing a play date of 30 people to the park when every single message from the health pros is, please don't do that. Right. Yeah. These, these declarations are, they do two things in my mind. They send an official message to the community saying that this is something to take seriously. Uh, but then they also open the doors up to potential funding down the line as well. You had mentioned that yesterday, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if, if you do have to take any sort of extraordinary me- measures as a community, it gives you the opportunity to seek reimbursement for that down the road. So if you haven't declared that state of emergency and then today something major would come up that you had to mobilize your your town crew to, to take care of, that action might not be able to be reimbursed down the road if you hadn't declared it like a state of emergency related to COVID-19. Um, there, there's going to be a you know, nothing's hard and fast with any of this stuff because I don't think the government has any idea how they're going to get the economy back on track right now. But um, yeah, that's kind of like one of the main impetuses for most of these communities. Right. Uh, so next up, we have elections coming up. And the the deadline in Wisconsin to request an absentee ballot by mail was yesterday. But there's been some confusing messaging coming out about absentee voting. Can you clarify some stuff for us? Yeah, there was even myself from the original messaging, I, I thought that was like a hard and fast deadline for it. Andre Jacques, uh, our state senator, sent out a message that confused a lot of people about that being the deadline as well. You can still vote absentee. You just can't request that ballot by mail. You can still stop in at your village clerk's office, although that's, you know, be careful. <laughs> like we're Washington. practicing our distancing. Um, so just reading a, a few of the lines from uh, Door County Clerk Jill Lau. She was uh, kind enough. I know she's busy probably going crazy right now with all sorts of requests and trying to figure out how you're going to pull off this election. But she took some time yesterday, read some information, and here's what she says. Door County Clerk Jill Lau is encouraging voters in Door County to vote absentee for the April 7th spring primary election. Voters may still request absentee ballots until 5 p.m. on April 2nd. Polls will be open in Door County for those who need them on election day, but most voters should vote absentee. To do that, voters should request an absentee ballot as soon as possible. If your name or address has changed since the last election, you must register with your current information. Check your registration status by visiting My Vote Wisconsin, that's at myvote.wi.gov, and clicking on My Voter Info. So hopefully that clarifies it a little bit. That will be on our website, but call your local clerk. Um, that's what they're there for. Yes, please. <laughs> Stop in, get your ballot. Especially in light of what we're all going through, it might be you might be more inclined to vote in this election than maybe ever before. You know, there there are a lot of I shouldn't say a lot of local races. There's um, six contested county board races. There are a handful of other municipal races that are contested. All of those candidate profiles um, that have responded to our questionnaires will be at DoorCountyPulse.com. Uh, due to a reduced print run this week. Due to this situation, we did not have space to put all of those bios and questionnaires into the Pulse Print Edition, but uh, we will put those all online, and then next week we will try to put as many into print as we can, but we will encourage you guys to, to check that out online. They will be up by tomorrow on the election tab, which will, which will be at the top of the Pulse homepage. Right. Uh, it is hard enough to get people to go out to the polls and vote on under normal circumstances, uh, by introducing this next level of work for people, I feel like it's going to result in much lower voter numbers this year. The county clerk can make this easy for you. Uh, requesting and a your ballot, local clerk. And, yeah, your yeah. local co- clerk can make this easier for you. I, I went online. I requested my ballot by mail. It was a really easy thing to to fill out. They just needed my license. I took a picture of it with my phone. It was really simple. I'm sure that that 
this process can be made really easy for you. You just have to do a little bit more. But this is these are important elections coming up. And if it means just taking one extra step, it, it's going to be worth it. And double check your status early. My father, who is a who is a member of the town board in the town of Egg Harbor, who has lived at the same address since 1982, was not on the voter rolls. So the purging that took place and some of these restrictions on voting, um, you you may unknowingly have been taken off. So check your voter status. Um, I my dad just told me this yesterday afternoon. Um, still looking into why that happened, but um, some of this some of these things that have happened, you you may you don't. You don't want to go through the, the work to vote this year and then not have it count. So check your status. Right. Yesterday, you made a phone call to your brother who is in Brussels, not Brussels, Wisconsin, but Brussels, Belgium. Yeah. Uh, always have to clarify that every time I tell people. Right. It, it makes a lot of sense to think that he's down south, but that's not correct. Uh, he has been dealing with a lockdown in Belgium and He's also got a lot of information about how Europe has been handling this as a whole. Right. Uh, so you made a phone call to him and talked through his situation. Uh, also, maybe kind of a glimpse into the future, into what we could be expecting to see with this as things go along. Uh, so we're going to call it a day here, and we'll jump into that uh, next. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Yo. Hello, Dan. Hi there. How's it going? Good. We are recording here. Okay. So, Dan, thanks for joining us. You are joining us from Brussels, Belgium, or slightly outside Brussels? Uh, just outside of Brussels in Waterloo. Dan, tell our listeners, obviously a lot of people who know me will know you, but obviously you're a, a Door County native, grew up in Egg Harbor with me, and now you're living in Brussels, Belgium. Tell me what you do there, how you ended up in Belgium in kind of like a nutshell, if you would. Well, I'll try to keep it brief. Uh, basically, uh, grew up in Door County, eventually worked my way through University of Wisconsin-Madison, where I met my wife, who dragged me over to Belgium. Uh, <laughs> I'll give you a, a chance bit. right now to edit that dragged word, Dan. Do you, you want <laughs> Well, I mean, we, we tried to stay in the States, but uh, I had reasons to stay there, obviously, family and whatnot. But honestly, it's Belgium is a beautiful country and uh, great culture, uh, good pe great people, not to mention uh, excellent beer and cheese. <laughs> and, chocolate, and so you're in Belgium now. They went to like a, a lockdown is, is kind of the, the, the word I've been using for it, but I don't know exactly how strict that lockdown is. Kind of tell me what the situation on the ground is over there for you guys. Well, it's the lockdown, as you call it, in Belgium is actually quite new. They did the official um, lockdown today at noon. So before that, it was very restricted. So I should go back maybe about a week ago when they basically began urging people to stay home, and that slowly turned into a sort of a closing of businesses and public places on the weekend. And then, of course, today they went to a, a more strict lockdown where only essential personnel were able to go to work, specifically those in uh, very specific industries like food and, of course, anything medical-related. Are, are you confined to your house? The other day you said you could still go to the corner bakery, things like that. But like, what has your week been for the past few days? I, obviously, you've been working from home. Well, I work from, for a progressive startup that actually was very proactive and decided to adopt the work from home policy uh, beginning last week on, on Thursday. And so we, we sort of got an early jump. 
uh, on that. And I personally have uh, uh, worked remotely for two and a half years, so it was a fairly easy transition for me. But uh, for the for my colleagues, this has been uh, very difficult, especially families with children. They now have children at home with them as they're working from home. And that's a big challenge. And your job, uh, describe for me in as much detail as you care, like what, what do you do for a living? So I'm, I'm an engineer, uh, electrical engineer. So I design products uh, for a company called Cowboy. Right now, uh, I've done other tasks in the past, but right now I'm designing e-bikes. So um, it's pretty easy for me to work from home because I have sort of, uh, I have a home lab I have my computers and screens and stuff, but uh, for other people, it's it's a mixed bag. My wife, Dora, on the other hand, she she works in the food industry for Cargill, so she actually has to continue going to work because she's part of the machine that delivers food to the world. So that's an important role and a critical for uh, people to keep getting food. And how is she getting to work? Is she driving or is she taking public transit, the train? What's... What's going on with that? Well, today she took uh, the car as uh, uh, out of caution because it officially kicked in at noon today where the new new rules were enforced. And she just wanted to make sure that there was no disruption in transportation. But normally uh, the trains that we would normally take are active, but in, they're very much reduced because of the reduced traffic. Is Brussels kind of a, a ghost town right now? Is there empty interstates? What's the situation look like? From what I've heard from other people that I've communicated at, uh, colleagues of mine who live in Brussels, there are people, uh, especially today, because the weather was very nice and warm, there have been people out. But one of the rules uh, that they have in force here is that if you're going to go out, you can't be in large groups. So you can go out to do, for example, exercise for a run or a bike ride, but you can only be in groups of two. And I really don't have clarity on how that works for a family of that has, for example, six kids, how do you, do you just take, uh, does each parent take out multiple times groups of kids to get them outside? Uh, a lot of stuff is, uh, is new to people. So we'll see how it works out. How are people handling it? You mentioned on the phone to me the other day that, you know, perhaps people in Europe might be a little more obedient to this than people in the United States. Um, what are you seeing? Are people okay with this? Well, definitely last weekend, there was, uh, people were, quite receptive to the new controls. And over the weekend, there was very, very few people out. Uh, I did go out to do a few things and there were no lines. Uh, some businesses were completely empty. So very few people uh, moving about and few people walking, but very few people were doing any commerce. I'm not sure how, how much people over there follow the situation in the United States on this, but the, the communication level, especially from the federal government, has been um, less than clear, I guess you would say. Uh, up until a few days ago, we were still getting the message that this is all just going to wash away and we're, it's only a few cases and it'll be down to zero in no time and it's going to go away with the weather. Only recently this week did it start to get more serious of... The, the president saying we're looking at more of a July, August potential for, for the duration of this crisis and, and it's only going to get much worse before it gets better. Military, I'm told, is expecting this to not peak until May in the United States. What on the flip side, as there's been all this confusion here, what has it been like there? Is it similar? Is it mixed messages? Or is there more clarity on the situation or transparency? I, I'm curious what it looks like in a, on the other side of the world. Well, of course, it depends on who you talk to and 
they do and their their industry background and and whatnot. But honestly, I think people are becoming more concerned as time goes on, mostly because of the uncertainty of to what that horizon is. And he, people I've talked to, uh, some of them say. This could go on for an extended period of time. The question mark is, is it going to be a vaccine or warm weather or the restrictions that we're, we're under that are going to control this? And that's the question mark. What's going to slow it? Right. Now, on a kind of different angle on this, you guys also have had the experience of traveling as this crisis has gone on. Sadly, it was, it was not for fun. Your wife's father passed away a couple of weeks ago in the Congo, and you guys had to travel down there. So tell me a little bit about what restrictions there were or screenings there were. What was that travel experience like in Europe in terms of... Well, we did. We went there a little over two weeks ago, and we got back last Thursday. Uh, and yes, we traveled uh, to Congo through uh, initially Kinshasa and eventually to Eastern Congo, which happens to be the heart of the Ebola outbreak of multiple times over the last few years, uh, or many decades, I should say. And it was quite an experience because I noticed right away that people had were much more hygienic. So the first thing you would do when you get to a home or sit down to eat is you would have to wash your hands and everybody did it systematically. And we already knew that the coronavirus was an issue. And so the context hit us right away. Oh, wait, they've already dealt with this. Hmm. And it's an interesting, an interesting fact that I learned when I was down there is that the Ebola never even got to Kinshasa, which surprised me because of the congestion and the lack of sanitation in that city. And it's it's quite amazing how much of an impact that can have on your day-to-day life and culture after you go through something like that. Right. I mean, I've always been somebody who washes my hands a lot and always been the guy who's pretty disgusted at my, my fellow males when I'm in an airport bathroom and you just see how many men do not wash their hands. Um, it's pretty disgusting. So it's kind of nice now to see there be lines at a sink. Lambeau Field might need to put more sinks into their men's restrooms because people might wash their hands moving forward. So there might be some long-term benefits that come out of this, but a lot of short-term pain. Well, Dan, thanks for taking the time to chat with us and share what you guys are experiencing over there. Maybe we'll check in again with you in a, in a few days or weeks as, as this goes on. We are trying to keep Door County informed and and this gives us a little picture of what, what the weeks ahead might look like for us. Hopefully not. Hopefully we get extremely lucky, but um, that doesn't seem to be the case. And um, meanwhile, I will, uh, I'll be taking care of mom and dad over here and trying to keep them on lockdown as best I can. You know how hard that's going to be. <laughs> well, keep it up, Miles, and I wish you all the best of luck. All right. Take care, Adora. Love you, brother. Love you too, man.